0: Continuing our series on the names of God, we're not necessarily going in chronological order with the the Bible, but um, uh, it is amazing as you walk through these names of God, um, the revelation that they have. And as we talk about them, and and today we're going to be in Exodus chapter 15, so if you would, open up your copy of God's Word to Exodus chapter 15. We're going to read the end of the chapter, verses 22 through 27. So if you would find that, and if you would stand as we read this together, um, we will start this morning with the word. Starting at verse 22 of Exodus chapter 15, it says, Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statue and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that it proclaims, and Father, we pray that as we look at your name this morning, that you would bring about a healing, and that you would uh, instruct us in your ways about who you are, your character, that we might further glorify you with our thoughts and our minds, with our actions and our hearts. We love you, and we ask that you would be glorified in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. You know, as I was thinking of this sermon in the name here, I'm just going to throw it right out to you. It's in verse 26, Jehovah Rapha, it's a fun one to pronounce, Rapha, I'm sure that's the correct pronunciation, right? I was always taught if you don't know how to pronounce something, just say it with confidence and people will believe you. So uh, Jehovah Rapha means the Lord, your healer. And I was trying to think of a great illustration of the times that I've been sick or in the hospital. I've only really been in the hospital twice, and I was only admitted once. Um, The first time was when I decided to try and trim my fingernails with a table saw. Um, Didn't work so well, I don't recommend it. Um, uh, But I went to the ER, I was not admitted. Um, But I did find that if you cut your bone the day before you go on vacation, it makes swimming miserable. Um, You can't really do it. Um, And then the second time was when I drove myself to the ER with appendicitis, to which the next year when my wife had it, she apologized profusely for making me go by myself. But I want to walk through the text here. I want to look at the context of the name first, and then we're going to look at the call of the name and... um, its significance to us. And I was really encouraged and found some uh, really exciting things as I walked through this and just some uh, profound truths from the Word um, this week as I spent some time. Um, it was one of those weeks that was just filled with nonstop uh, busyness. And so when you have those types of weeks, you wonder when am I going to have time? to spend in the Word, to prepare, and the Lord was very gracious. But uh, I want to walk through the context first. And the first thing here in this text is a problem that happens. You see, you look at the timing of this text and you put the whole backdrop down first. The backdrop is this, you know, 430 years of slavery to the Egyptians That's what the Israelites were, 430 years in slavery and bondage to the pharaohs. Um, And and they had spent all that time uh, into a place where it got so bad that they were ordering the execution of, of babies, of the Hebrew babies. And uh, So the story goes on, Moses is called out uh, by God, sent into the wilderness for 40 years of preparation and training, and then God sends him back this, uh, to, to Pharaoh as the messenger of God to free his people. And of course, we can read through Exodus, the first 12 chapters. Um, uh, first fourteen chapters really of of how God confronts Pharaoh, and you got the ten plagues, and it, c- it culminates in the the execution of the the oldest uh, son, and finally Pharaoh says, "Go, get out of here!" And as he sends them out, they're they're gathering treasures. The Egyptians are literally heaping gold and silver upon the Israelites as they leave, saying, "Get out of here, go!" And and they start to go. And And as they leave, um, Pharaoh has a change of heart, right? And he says, I'm going to, you know, we just let a million to two million plus uh, free labor leave. And so he sends out the Egyptian army. And of course, they get to the Red Sea and uh, the, the miraculous happens. God proving, so, so they've witnessed these ten plagues, then they get to the Red Sea, they've got the Red Sea in front of them, the Egyptian army behind them, and, and God tells Moses, you know, lift up the staff, and the, the water is parted, and it says that they walked, it doesn't say, notice what it says, they didn't walk on muddy ground, they walked on dry ground, I don't understand the miracle of that. But they walked across on dry ground and, and, and these, I don't know, I've seen the movies sometimes where they've got like the walls and you see the fish swimming by and stuff. I don't know what it was like, but I can imagine it was this amazing thing. They crossed the Red Sea and, and, and their freedom, right? Because as soon as they step foot on the other side, the Egyptian army says, let's follow after them. They, they start to go and immediately the walls of the water collapse and the Egyptian army is wiped out. Can you imagine that experience? Watching and witnessing the mighty power of Jehovah in the midst of all these things, 430 years of slavery. And, and then they're, finally they're witnessing all the plagues of God confronting the Egyptian gods, by the way. And in each one, He's shown victorious and glorious and almighty. And then they get to the Red Sea problem, but God says, no, it's not a problem. He parts the Red Sea, they cross the Red Sea, and then He wipes out the enemy army in one fell swoop. And it starts in chapter 15 with this incredible song of triumph and praise. The song of Moses. And and several verses before we get to our section even, Miriam breaks out the tambourine and they start dancing and whooping and hollering and and shouting and praise and, and, and exuberance at what God has done. That's the scene. That this incredible excitement For what God has done and has brought them out of 430 years of of slavery. And there is a song of joy that's going on. And then our story starts. And they start out into the wilderness after leaving the Red Sea. Day one, they're excited. Day two, you know, they're like, all right, our water provisions are starting to run a little low, but we're still excited. Day three, I can imagine, I can see the scene, right? Day three. We're out of water. We're all going to die. From, from crossing the Red Sea to three days later, we're all going to die. I want that to sink in. Three days. From watching the Red Sea part that they walked on dry land to we're all going to die. Can you imagine as they got to the uh, what they saw was this oasis in the midst of traveling for, for three days without water. They see this water. They run to it. And the first person probably takes a sip and spits it out. And he says, this is bitter water. We can't drink it. They run out of water. And there's a truth I want you to understand is the first part of context here. Notice, it was God that led them to the troubled waters. It was God that led the nation of Israel to the troubled waters. They didn't stumble upon it. God led Moses who brought them here. They didn't accidentally go to it. Moses was following God's leading. And there is an important point of truth here that God led the nation of Israel to troubled waters. And this is not the first time something like this happens. There is context over and over and over again in Scripture where God leads His people into troubled Bitter waters. We read about Joseph who, who was being raised up, and, and it says Joseph uh, had the, the coat of many colors and he was, had this dream about leading his brothers. And what happens? The bitterness of betrayal, sold by his brothers into slavery. Naomi, we studied Naomi last year in the book of Ruth, and Naomi experiences the bitterness of death and destruction at the loss of her her husband and her two sons. And she goes out and she comes back and she says, don't call me Naomi anymore, call me Mara. Because my life has been touched with bitterness. We see Hannah who struggles and prays and cries out in bitterness because of barrenness. Job, the ultimate picture for us of a man who was called righteous in whom there was, no, uh, there was nothing that, that, that was seen. And so God said, look at my servant Job and what happens to him? Death and destruction to the point where he even received disease. And it's a very disturbing picture when you read it and you read how he took pots to scrape the boils off of his body. Bitterness. Hosea, the prophet called by God, and he, and he goes to speak and proclaim the truth of God. And what is his bitterness? His wife was an adulteress. Bitterness over and over and again. And God leads His people there. And so the story goes that God leads them to bitter waters. And I find it interesting as we walk continue to walk through the story, there are two responses you'll notice There's a posture here that I think will become very important as we come back to these two very important points later on. So there are two responses, right? The people, as they come to the bitter waters, what do they say? They start to grumble and complain against Moses. Why'd you bring us here? We're all going to die. But there's a contrast, right? Because what does Moses do? I'm sure he had concerns, You know, he's got one to two million people. He's led out here in the middle of the desert, no water. What does he do? It says in verse 25, he cried to the Lord, to Jehovah, and the Lord showed him a log. He threw it in the water, and the water became sweet. Moses obeys without questioning. And I think there's another point of of importance here, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I want you to notice this. I want you to take this in. It's such a cool thing. God healed the waters, and He could have just made them not bitter, right? That's what they needed. They needed water that wasn't bitter. And God could have taken the water and made it regular, clean tap water. But notice what it says. He goes above and beyond. It says that He made the water sweet. Brothers and sisters, we have a God who not only answers prayer, but goes above and beyond as in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, where Paul says that him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think, that's our God, that's Jehovah here that we're talking about. So the people came. They were they were filled with distress. They were filled with despair and disheartenment. Moses had concerns, but his response was to pray, and God answers. And he makes the water not just bitter but sweet. And then God gives us a principle, and we're not going to spend hardly any time on this, but I just want to emphasize it for you because there's some some more pointed stuff we want to get to, but the principle is this in summary, so starting at verse 26 he says, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in His eyes and give ear to His commandments and keep all His statutes I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians for I am the Lord your healer and that's where our name comes from, and here's the principle that God gives, this principle is simply this, that blessing flows from obedience that when we obey God blesses that's the principle and that is an incredible principle that we could preach 10 sermons on but that's not the name that we're going to focus on this morning but I want you to think through that write that down remember it because it's a very important principle that obedience that I'm sorry blessings flow when we obey that's why in, in uh, uh, 1 Samuel, when uh, Saul disobeys God, uh, Samuel comes to Saul and he says, uh, what, What's going on here? And Saul says, No, I did what was right. And Samuel says, No, you didn't. I told you to wipe out all the Amalekites. And, and I hear these cows and I hear these sheep. What's going on? And Saul says, No, I kept the best to sacrifice to God. And Saul and Samuel answers in this incredible uh, statement. He says, uh, it is better to obey than to sacrifice. That God's delight is in our obedience. Okay, so that's the context because the name then is Jehovah Rapha. I am the Lord, your healer. And he heals. And so what does all this have to do for us? And how do we walk through this for us? So we we look at the context of what happens and, and that God comes in and He heals the waters. First thing I want us to understand is a place. Bitter waters are very real. There is not a person in this room who is not experiencing bitter waters. Bitter waters are very real. They're deep. They hurt. You know how I know that everybody has them? Because we're broken people. Because sin ravages and destroys. I can look at a man suffering on his deathbed with cancer and know that his body has been ravaged by sin. And why does he deserve that? Bitter waters are very real, brothers and sisters. And for some of us, we are experiencing them in deep and painful ways this morning. And I want you to understand about this place two things. Number one, God often leads us to them. And the question naturally is why, and we're going to get to that. But you look here, God led them to the bitter waters, broken bodies, physically, sickness, Broken hearts because bitter waters, you know, we hear healing and we always think about healing the physical. There is so much more. We have broken hearts because of relationships, because of sin, because of various things. There are broken souls spiritually under sin that they cannot get out from under. And there is just a brokenness and these things all taste horrible and bitter and they deeply hurt. And I also want to acknowledge that sometimes we create our own bitter waters, do we not? The law of sowing and reaping, that sometimes we do something, and the, you know, if I go out and spend all my money, I'm going to lose my house. That's a fault that I have, and that will be bitter waters. Maybe I led myself to that Mara. But there is a reality I would need us to understand because it's so vitally important that bitter waters are real and God often leads us to them. And the second aspect of it is God leads us to bitter waters almost always after great victories. Three days, they saw, they witnessed the parting of the Red Sea and freedom of 430 years of slavery. In three days, God takes them to the bitter waters. Three days. I think of Elijah who goes and has this incredible experience on Mount Carmel and he calls down fire from heaven to consume. And and the people start shouting, uh, Jehovah, Jehovah, He alone is God. And they wipe out all the prophets of Baal. And the very next day, Elijah is in the wilderness crying for his own death. He says, God, just take me now. I don't want to live anymore. I can tell you time after time in my own ministry where I felt like, man, this was an awesome season of ministry. And right around the corner was an incredibly difficult time. Because God leads us into bitter waters, and He leads us into bitter waters often after our victory. So, why? There's a purpose, two reasons. Number one, He wants to reveal our hearts. Outside, everything looked great. They had escaped. They had worshipped God. They had come to a place of celebration. And God said, let's see. And God brings them to their bitter waters. And what is exposed but the inward motives of their heart? Complaining, bitterness, doubt, distrust... If you remember, last week, you know, the thought was, you know, why does God, you know, why does God, if you read through the Old Testament, there are some difficult things to read, right? God wiping out nations. Why does God allow this? Why does God do this? Does God hate People. And the answer we found in Lamentations was absolutely not. He says that it's not his desire to grieve the children of men. It's not his desire to put on pain and suffering. It wasn't God's desire to hurt Job. It wasn't God's desire to put him in a place of bitter suffering. But to reveal the heart was such an important thing. He cares. And if you are here today in the bitterness of your waters, whatever those are, you need to realize something. That in the midst of it, God is trying to reveal your heart. He's trying to show you your sin. He's trying to show you your weakness. He's trying to show you your blind spots. You know, I find that when I'm not being pressed, I don't know my sin. I don't know my weaknesses. But the moment I start getting pressed by things is when it starts to hurt, is when I realize, oh, snap. I see that in myself. I see that weakness. I see that sin. I see what's going on. Because the reality is that when fire is applied, the reality is that everything is exposed. When I grill, I usually see a residue that's left over on the little grill You know what I'm talking about? If you grill like steaks, sometimes you have seasoning and it sticks to the grill. The little, I don't know what you, you just call them a grill, right? What? The The grates, thank you. The grates. You know, you get little clumps of stuff and it's super awesome to then cook the next item. On top of that, it adds flavor. I'm kidding. I see that and it disgusts me. You know what I do? I heat my grill up really high and I let it heat up and when it's heated up to a certain point, you can take a cloth and just wipe it off, right? The reality is true with what's going on with bitter waters. That God's revealing our heart, the junk that's there. He wants the fire so that it can cleanse us, so that we can then see the garbage that's left there and get rid of it. That's one of the purposes for bitter waters, And I'd ask you, how are you responding to the Mars in your life? I find it interesting. I I heard a quote, and I think it's very uh, true, when I was listening to a sermon in regards to this text, that bitter waters tend to bring on amnesia towards God. Three days, and they had already forgotten what God had done. In the midst of our bitterness and our bitter struggles, we forget what God is doing and what He has done when I have struggled with things in my life and my wife comes to me in in such a great and profound way and she says, "But, but what about this? And I'm like, yeah, 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 no, I don't want to talk about that. I want to stay and reflect on my bitterness. Because we forget what God has done. And so we'll sit here and we'll say things like, you know, uh, 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 I lost this, uh, uh, this money doing this, and it, it hurts, or whatever it is, and, and, and we forget that God provided last week for that, because we're focused on what the pain and the suffering is right now, and, 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 and so we walk through that, and, and I would sit here and I would, I would ask the question, if we consider our struggles in our bitter waters, are we responding like Moses. Or are we responding like the people? So I think God is using those things to reveal our hearts, but also because of this name of God, He wants to reveal Himself, the healer. Why to bitter waters? And he could have taken him right away. To verse 27, it says that the very next day they came to Elam where there were. Twelve springs of water and 70 palms, and they encamped there by the water. Why not just go there right away? Why didn't God just take His people that He loved so much straight to the oasis? Why to to the bitter waters first? Well, the answer is because He wanted His people to know who He was. And to know that without Him, they could never be healed. He wants us to understand that He alone can heal our bitter waters so that we will come to Him. Brothers and sisters, we have struggles in life because of sin, because of whatever brokenness is there, and we need to realize that He leads us there to show Himself to us. He leads us there because He wants us to cry out to Him. Because there is nothing that I or your spouse, or your elders could say that can heal you. Only God. And this, you know, we we talked last week about Genesis 22 being such a great picture of of Calvary. Uh, We have a great picture here as well. Did you notice the peculiarity of what God instructed Moses he cries out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a log. In some translations it says a tree. And you know, I don't know. Maybe there were countless trees. Um, maybe there was just one tree. But, but it's interesting that you've got these bitter waters. They come there. They can't drink it. They're all going to die because they don't have water. You can only make it so long without water. And God says to him, take that tree and throw it in and I will heal the waters. And He does. And there's a reality that our Savior died on a tree. And on His death, we find the healing of the nations. Over and over again, there are, are, are countless uh, examples throughout Scripture of the, this kind of dialogue. In Isaiah 53, it says that He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds, we are healed. Peter says very similar in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, he says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Ultimately, the healer Jehovah Rapha is Jesus Christ, is he not? That without Him, there is no forgiveness of sin. Without Him, there is no healing of the body, the mind, the soul, the spirit. Without Him, there is no hope but sickness and death. And so when we talk about Jehovah Rapha, the first thing I want us to think about is that Jesus is the great healer. It takes you about two seconds of reading the New Testament to realize the healing of Jesus. Over and over again, it talks about how He heals the sick man. He heals the lame. He heals the woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. He heals. He heals. He's constantly healing. Why? Because he is Jehovah Rapha. And ultimately, He heals sin and death and destruction by dying on a cross. That He would come and He would live a perfect and holy life. And then He would, on a tree, be cast into the waters of bitterness. And we're told that He is the living water, that all who would drink from would have eternal life. What a great analogy. What a great picture when we begin to examine and we think through. It's almost like every picture of the Old Testament points to Jesus Christ. And so Paul says when he writes to the Corinthians, he says, These things, meaning the Old Testament, were pictures and things to point to Jesus. And if you are here today with no hope for a future, know this. The only one who can heal you is Jehovah Rapha, who is Jesus Christ. Are you at Mara, your bitterness? Maybe today you need some sort of healing. I was asked if I was going to do like a healing service today. I mean, I thought about it, you know, we could heal your wallets. I'm good at that. Some of us have back pain because, you know, our wallets are too thick. I can work on that. That's what I, yeah, okay, never mind. <laughs> never mind. It's not going to go there. Sometimes it's physical, right? Sometimes our bodies are ravaged with things and we need physical healing. And so you come to the church and you say, as we're commanded in Scripture, go to the elders who can anoint you and pray over you. And I'll tell you, I've done that a few times and it's been an incredible thing to be a part of. And I think sometimes we're afraid to ask. We're afraid to ask because we we are afraid that God's not going to do it. Sometimes we're afraid to ask because we're embarrassed. Sometimes we don't even know that we're supposed to do it. But we're commanded in Scripture to go and to have one another pray for each other. Do we believe that we have a God who heals the waters? And so sometimes it's physical. Sometimes it's relational. That we have brothers or sisters or wife or husband or children. That there is a broken relationship and we sit here and we throw our hands up and we say, I don't know what to do. I can't do it. And you know what? You finally got to the right place because you can't do it. You need Jehovah Rapha who says, I can heal. And I will. Sometimes it's old wounds, bitterness. In Hebrews, the writer says, see to it that no root of bitterness grow up and divide. Because that's what Satan tries to do. I I was working with some uh, two-by-fours yesterday, and I got a sliver in my hand, and I didn't even know about it until this morning when I was taking a shower and I was scrubbing, and I just kept felt it. Every time you rub across the sliver in your skin, you know, you feel it, but you may not notice it until there's contact. That's bitterness. I had a sliver one time that got into my finger, and I never did anything about it until it got all festered. It was It was purple and stuff. It was great. But I had to have a they had to uh, get a scalpel and cut it and pull it out. That's bitterness, brothers and sisters. We we can have it lodged in our skin and not know about it until we come in contact with the very thing that rubs it. And you know if you're bitter. You know if you're bitter, because I've been there, I, I get there all the time when I'm not careful to guard my heart, and, and I know I'm bitter when I see that person, and immediately my countenance changes, and I'm frustrated, and I get angry. You, you know you're bitter when you have pretend conversations of what you would say to that person if you had them in person. You know you're bitter when anytime time their name comes up, you get angry. And how long have you tried to deal with that? Because I can promise you something, you can't do it on your own. Maybe there's wounds from your childhood that you've never been able to deal with. Things deep down because you were hurt. I can't fix that. No person in this room can fix it. But I know somebody who can. He's not going to take it away, but he'll heal you. Jehovah Rapha. When we look at this name of God, I want us to understand the significance of what He is capable of, why He takes you to that place where you have to get to a place where you realize you can do nothing about it because He wants you to realize that He is capable and He alone is capable. And so you would cry out to Him and not go find some counsel here and there. It's not that those things are unnecessary. They are absolutely important, but only He can heal you. Only He can. And He wants you to. He's ready and waiting. Psalm 147. He heals the broken heart and binds up their wounds. And sometimes I think we choose to continue to drink the bitter waters instead of going to what is offered freely. Sometimes we cling tight to that bitterness because we don't want to let it go. Maybe He's led you to bitterness today because He wants you to come to Him. Maybe you've been running from Him in various ways. Maybe you've been running from what He's calling you to do. Maybe you've been trying to do things on your own. And He's calling you today into a bitter place because He wants you to come to Him. I think of a verse that my wife received from the Lord a, number, a while back. And it's from Isaiah chapter 38. Kind of this obscure verse Hezekiah is writing and, and, uh, uh, and he had just gone through his sickness and he's healed. And, and he says in verse 17, Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness. Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness. You stop and pause there for a minute and think through what he just said, that it was good for me to have bitterness. It was good for me to have bitter taste and bitter life. Why? In love, you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. That's healing, brothers and sisters. I don't know what's going on in each and every individual's life here today. But I do know this because you are just like me, whether you want to admit it or not. That's a scary thought. But we have bitterness, bitter experiences suffering, whether it's relational, whether it's physical, whether it's emotional, spiritual. We are here today because we are broken people and we can lay all those at the feet of Jesus and say, Jehovah Rapha, would you heal me? We're going to take communion. And communion is this, that we are celebrating the healer. The one who has... For our sake, suffered and died. The one who died holy and blameless, a lamb without blemish. The one who said, I will die in their place because they cannot. And I will take their punishment and I will offer freely my righteousness so that they can stand before God healed. And so by his wounds, we have been made healed. And what an incredible thing that we can celebrate that that on the third day He rose from the dead conquering sin and death. And so we come before the table and, and what I want us to do when we come this morning is to take some time and to consider the bitter waters that we are at today and to offer to God our hearts and minds that we would cry out to Jehovah Raphae and say, God, would You heal me today? Because I can't deal with this bitterness any longer. I can't deal with this this body that is ravaged by sickness and death. I can't deal with these broken relationships anymore. I can't deal with these things. Instead of complaining and saying, God, where are you? We can cry out and say, God, I know you're here. You have healed. Would you heal me today? And so Stephen's going to come up, we're going to play a song, and while we're in that moment in time, I want us to consider what area we are. Where is our bitter waters today? And to take it to the Lord, to cry out to Him to heal us. And if you need somebody to pray with you, please don't be too prideful to do it. Don't worry about what somebody next to you will say. Don't worry about those things. But can we just recognize that He is able to heal and He is wanting to heal? That He has brought you to this place because He is desiring you, not because He wants to hurt you. But He wants you. And after you've taken some time to consider that, to to offer it to the Lord, to ask for Him, then come and celebrate. Celebrate. Celebrate the ultimate, the greatest healing that He has offered. Because we are told in Scripture that that the reason that we continually celebrate the Lord's table is because we do proclaim each time we do it, His death and resurrection until He comes again. And in that death and resurrection, He offered healing to the world. And so let this be the confirmation of your hearts that He will heal. Let this be the place that you can cry out to Jehovah Rapha and find healing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that even though you lead us to bitter waters, it is for our welfare that you do so. Father, I pray for us today that we would recognize our own hearts first and foremost. That you would reveal to us the brokenness. Reveal to us the bitterness. Reveal to us the the sin in our life. That we might cast it out. And Father, that we might cling to the tree that has been tossed into the rivers for healing. That we might drink the living water, which is Jesus Christ our Savior. And Father, if there's anyone here today that does not know you, we pray that today they would recognize that Jehovah Rapha stands before them waiting, that by his wounds, he offers healing. We love you. We thank you. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.